0: Thanks for listening to the Stimulate Run podcast. If you like what you hear, remember to subscribe, leave a rating and a review. If you would like to get in touch or have future guest suggestions, please make contact via email or slide into DMs on any of the social channels. Here's your host, Erwin, with this episode's guest.
1: All right, everybody, welcome to season five episode number three and i think every guest i'm pretty lucky to have but um this one i said range to him uh off off air and um we normally arrange when you hear about track to marathon and middle distance kind of stuff but he's kind of setting a new frontier when it comes to range and that's marathons ultras back to marathons and welcome to the podcast reese edwards cheers mate thanks for having me on um, so we will get to your, your found range uh, later on in the chat, but do you want to kind of give everybody a bit of an intro as to who you are and a bit of a background? Yeah, so I'm Rhys Edwards. I started running uh, be
0: uh, six, what am I, uh, seven years ago now I started running. So I was, uh, wouldn't well, that make me 25 years of age, I got into running at university. So pr- prior to that, I grew up mostly as a field hockey player, but then dabbled in like every Australian kid, uh, lots of swimming until the age of about 15, you know, like six, seven swim squads a week and um, lots of tennis and cricket and surf life saving and did every single sport as a kid. But from kind of 16 to 21 years of age, mostly field hockey. Um, And then that transitioned into dabbling into a a bit of triathlon there for about three or four periods Three four years, not periods. Um, and then through traveling, I found out that hey, I like the bike, but then I my biking skills weren't quite up to scratch, and had a fair few bike crashes, and then eventually just worked out that I didn't mind running. Actually, running's where I am best of best at. So yeah, I was halfway through a physiotherapy degree, um, when I took up running there at yeah twenty five years of age.
1: When would you flash back to your running back or uh, your hockey back right now? do you almost sit there and go, oh, geez, I actually wasn't a half bad runner? Like you might not have known it at the time, but you might've just had that ability to keep going and going, especially with the repeat efforts. Yeah, so
0: like everyone on the hockey field would always, like the opposition would always hate marking me. And one of my go-to thing was, I was always the fittest in my team and I could play more matches and the other oppositions would have to swap players to keep up. Um, But I guess growing up, had Ryan Gregson in my age group within New South Wales and there was these things called talent camps where you do the beep test every year and all the best players in New South Wales from, you know, ages 13, 14, 15, all get together every Easter time for a week long camp and always, you know, do a ride in the beep test, but always be second last. And then you always, Ryan would always end up, you know, three, four levels ahead. So that was quite a humbling experience growing up um, seeing that, but at the time you didn't realize that, Hey, this is one of them, he was going on to break Australian records and be one of Australia's best 1500 metre runners of all time. So um, I guess I was comparing myself to
1: something like that and didn't realise what was going on. Did you ever think at that time, I suppose, seeing him going, your primary sport is running, like I'm only a couple of steps behind him. Is this an option for me or were, were you also of that thinking of oh, running is, let's say, like a punishment, and not something <laughs> that you <laughs> yeah you would enjoy? No, I mean, I was more
0: than a couple of steps behind. Like he was so far ahead of everyone. Like everyone knows on the beep test, say if I was coming out at 14 years of age, running at 15, he might've been running 18, 19 on the beep test. So his running was phenomenal. I remember we did like a New South Wales Institute of Sport camp for under 16s, and we had 6am fitness training. And I'm pretty sure the rumors were that he was up and doing his own run session prior to our team fitness session at 6am. So um, it's I been... never th- I was like, I would never want to go down that road. <laughs> bit of Kobe Bryant stuff, isn't it, really? Uh, yeah, <laughs> it is.
1: It really is. He deserves everything he's got that <laughs> And in terms of like the triathlon dabbling, was that very much okay, piecing together a bit of your youth with the swimming? You knew that you could swim, right? So you don't need to work on that. Cycling was this newfound interest after you like moved away. And then, well, running is just part of it. And you knew you could, you're a half decent. Uh, runner, Um, but which one did you really favour? It's funny because from, you know,
0: until 15 years of age, swimming, I made state-level swimming. I thought I was a good swimmer, but when I decided to take up triathlons around 20, swimming was always my weakest leg. And I think it's one I just hated it. I never really, I'd only swim twice, three times a week. So swimming ended up my weakest leg. Cycling was my second weakest leg, but I spent all my time riding my bike because I loved riding my bike most and then end up the run end up being my strongest leg and I didn't even know what interval session was at this point so when I did triathlons I didn't have a clue what an interval was so this was all just kind of doing going out for i would just run I was one of those people where you know I might have been running 30 40 k's a week but every time you go out there you're just running that one pace because you I didn't understand endurance training at the time yeah um, and that was the same with the bike I just when I was doing more cycling and triathlons all my bike training was all I just loved spending six, eight hours on my bike or longer. So I I didn't know what an interval was, but yeah, the run was naturally my best in triathlons.
1: And I, I did doing some research. I heard another interview you did and you want to tell us a little bit about these eight to 10 hour rides. Yeah. Some of them got out of control, but when
0: I was, yeah, going through that kind of 17 to 19 years of age, you know, oh, oh, probably 18 to 20, maybe you'd, I'd, yeah, you have a couple of beers, but I got into cycling more. And some of these rides, I've done a couple of 500-kilometer rides where you just go for 20-odd 20, 20 hours and you're just going from one McDonald's to the next for the next. Um, so yeah, twice in my life, I've cycled for 500 kilometers, um, which was a great experience. And then I was regularly getting up on Sunday mornings at 3:30 in the morning to meet a couple of fellas and go do eight-hour rides, 200. Forty kilometers, and then come home at lunchtime, and yeah, sleep the rest of the day. It's good
1: fun. <laughs> yeah, only a few people, percentage <laughs> of the world, would go. Yeah, I know exactly what he's saying. Yeah, I've had some yeah I've had,
0: yeah, I've had some incredibly dark. De- like they, until recently, they were my dark days. Some of those bike rides, like I've sat at bakeries with a meat pie in one hand and a of coke in the other, and just thinking. I am a good 110 kilometers from home right now, and the sun's setting. What the hell am I doing here?
1: So, yeah, you sound like the quintessential ultra marathon. Really, yeah. it's uh, <laughs> you've got a future at the back of the pack, just pacing, I think, like a 12 hour group through. So, I think, <laughs> <in for that. laughs> and then a massive fast forward, you find yourself in Dick Telford's running group. Like how How on earth do you go from? a 12, 10 hour ride to then going, okay, I'm going to take my running almost systematically serious and you jumping into one of the most renowned coaches in the world. Um, You know, how does that come about?
0: Lucky coincidence, really lucky coincidence. So one of my um uh, colleagues or one of my, uh, the other uni students that I became friends with, he was into running and I was, this is at the point where I was doing triathlons just as an age group, but with the uni studies and things, I was starting to just, you know, dabble more in running. I didn't have time for the bike. And I never, at that point I wasn't enjoying swimming and he knew that I was getting into running and I, and he just invited me to, he said, Hey, you've been doing some running. What sort of times do you run? And I think I might've run just over 18 minutes at a local park, park run at that point, maybe 1750 or something. And he invited me along to this run squad and, you know, I was not even close to the calibre, but I just kept turning up week after week and this run squad that he brought me to one afternoon just happened to be Dick Telford's run squad. So that was just a really lucky coincidence and, you know, they were doing say six to eight kilometres worth of sessions and those first few weeks, oh, not few weeks, probably the first year, I was only being able to get out like a quarter to 50% of the
1: session have you ever randomly or along that process ever said hey dick what did you think day 1 when i rocked up and or maybe he saw it as a bit of a not a project but okay this guy's got a little bit of something there that we can work with
0: i oh, it took a while so uh, cuz it's a camera there's like a quite a big uni um kind of population going on there in the running community so there's a lot of you know in and outs so every yeah, there's a couple that move back away because they finished uni and got jobs somewhere else, and there's some fresh ones come in. So I think it's common to have. And the best thing about his squad is that you don't have to be coached by him. He's happy for people just to turn up, join in, because he just loves running and wants to, you know, increase the, the population, the, you know, the popularity of the sport. So definitely within the first 12 months, you know, it probably took a few months for him to even recognize that I was consistently yeah. starting to show up. And it wasn't probably until a good 18 months to
1: two years, he was starting to be like, oh,
0: maybe we can make a runner of you.
1: <laughs> Did you find yeah. his approach, um, I think, you know, let's say you've got a strong academic background, you know, being for physio, yeah. you've been through that. Did you like the fact that he also had that too, but simplified things? Yeah, big
0: time. We really, um I, I really loved his methods. The thing that Dick, taught me was that, you know, he has so much knowledge and he's so well educated and he's one of the leaders in, you know, physiology around the world. Yet his coaching is so simple. And you get all these other coaches out there that have just read one or two textbooks and they talk about all these zones and all this technical jargon that they, they probably don't really understand. But not only if they don't understand it, the it's no way to teach an athlete how to understand it if you don't understand it yourself. So Dick just master of just simplifying it. Never, never talks about zones and things. Just there, yeah, I want you puffing steadily, or I want you running to how this feels. So he just was really, really good of just simplifying things, and you wouldn't have really realized he was like, you know, so well kind of um, qualified and had so much knowledge in the physiology world the way he coached simply.
1: And that probably made it less intimidating for you too. You know, someone who's gone out maybe seven days a week, but you've literally banged out every run like a time trial to mm. rocking up going, uh, hey, mate, our warm-up is going to be five minutes a K or, you know, six out of 10 effort. Um, yeah. That would have been a big shock. Yeah, and and to be fair, the,
0: the thing with Dick is he, he's, he never really gave paces. Mm. Um, and I don't know if he still does. I haven't been coached for him, by him for a couple of years, but it was always effort-based. So he was never like, hey, I want you to run five-minute Ks in your warm-up. He, you could run... 350s if you wanted to or six minute case. He didn't really care. He's like, say at five thirty, you just need to be ready to go. And yeah. so whatever warm up you did pre, he didn't really care. And even during the sessions, it was never, hey, I want you to run three ten or whatever pace it was. It was more, hey, I want you to run ten K effort or I want you to run, you know, just, you know, feeling like you're right on that knife's edge. And if you were to go a second quicker, you'd have to slow down. But
1: um it, it was more that sort of um, language. And I think like, well, most distance runners really should be. You build a lot of your um, prep and running around aerobic stuff and, you know, you commute a lot back and forth to work. So have you almost taken some of those fundamentals that you learned early days and even though not being coached or, you know, even sometimes not following a structure, is that what your cornerstone of your training is like?
0: Yeah, so... I would say in the last I spent a few couple of years in the UK and that kind of recently has changed my training quite a bit but I would say for most of my career as a runner I've just yeah absolutely just followed Dick's kind of methodology of just you know big K's um, easy K's and then your sessions are really hard and trying to get in three hard sessions um, a week on top of just lots and lots of volume and as long as you're jogging slowly on those easy days, it could be 20, 25 kilometers, but as long as it's slow, it's not really that taxing on your sessions. So until recently, that was definitely kind of um, how I followed everything.
1: And then i say professionally, but um, your career. So you became a qualified physiotherapist. Um, What spurred that interest on, or, you know, was there something that uh, early on in your life made you take that choice? It was when I was getting into triathlon. So
0: I was, wasn't came out of school, wasn't 100% sure what I wanted to do. And I think and there'll be a large population out there that still fall into this trap. You go and study exercise science, yep. which I'd recommend going. If, you want to, if you're not sure what you want to do, maybe biomedicine science would be nice one want to do. I reckon there's more options afterwards. Anyway, um, so I studied exercise science. And through that period, I, that was when I was getting into triathlon, and I had some a lot of injury, like soft tissue injuries, really early on. So ITB, Achilles tendinopathy, and that was when I first, you know, had to go to a physiotherapist, and I went in there with some lateral knee pain, and then bloke started giving me stuff all about my hip, and I was like, I have no idea what's going on, and literally within a week and a half, voila, I was pain free, and I, and I was thought. That was pretty cool what he did. So at that moment, that's when I decided, hey, when I finish this undergrad, I'll try and go into physio.
1: Interesting, because you were that – I wonder how many of your patients follow that same kind of uh, (laughs) uh, path now that actually listen and go, oh, yeah, that worked. And Yeah. um, How do you think it's assisted your running? Well, the biggest thing that I think
0: it's assisted is I'm not scared of injuries. And I think I can I can spot something that I can run through probably more so than a lot of other people. Like it'd take a lot more for me to stop running because I feel like I've got a pretty good body awareness of, hey, you know, this is a soft tissue type thing. Or like I can just deload it, maybe not do a session. I can change my volume or intensity around for a week or two weeks. More so than just, I, more so than just say cutting out complete rest and then, waiting three or four days i'll try run, or i'm still in pain maybe i'll go see someone and you kind of spend a week two weeks kind of playing this game of like not running running do i see someone do i not see someone i guess i don't have to worry about that i get to have a really good body awareness of hey is this a bony injury or is this a serious injury that i need to rest right now or is it something i can push through get to my event or how do i change my load management
1: do you find yourself being looked at you might just be oblivious to it but you know maybe even your training partners or your friendship group and they start going oh is he how come he's not stretching or why is he not doing these little things that we call one percenters you know dietitians i think they feel it with their people always watching what they eat but yeah. do you ever have that external pressure you kind of see happening and you have to almost put this front on um not so much
0: the. I mean, a lot of my friends and that I and my running colleagues, they are all physios themselves, and we all have different things. But the general public, I just kind of no. I like I. I know my training looks wild from the outset, and people think, "Geez, he doesn't follow much of the science and all this sort of stuff." But I think it's still the science is still growing. So no, I don't really put a front on. I don't try to pretend I'm smarter than what I am, or I've got the key to unlocking like you know never be injured again nothing like that
1: so um no i don't oh, i don't think more like in front. terms of you know pre-session people doing activation oh. Oh, and I'm, they go I, oh how come this bloke's telling everyone to do it but you know those kind of yeah things,
0: okay yeah. yeah i got you yeah um i guess i, I don't do it myself so I'd, i've never one i'm not encouraged yeah and as a physio yeah i tell i'll jog before a while and that as a physio if i ever say that to someone i'd be like make sure you know you're warm and loose and things like that but if you've got a coach you know, listen to their warm-up do with their drills or whatever but yeah i just do a few strides and jogging i there's not honestly there's not that much science uh evidence behind stretches or anything reducing injuries pre-run there's actually bugger all so everyone's got these funny good-looking routines they do but (laughs) the only science is is that four by 200 meter strides before an event can improve your performance by I think it's something like 3.5% or something like that. And that's the only evidence behind anything in your warm-up actually helping.
1: Which is so interesting, right? Because you have the qualified professional and then you've got the Instagram professional. Who... Yeah. <laughs> and... but all these
0: th- TheraBand exercises around your knee, activating your glutes pre-run and all this sort of stuff. Like it's, it's you know, it's not, it's not preventing an injury in in that run. It's your actual week on, month on, year on load management and that's actually going to contribute to that injury.
1: And then what kind of lessons maybe have you gained from running that you take into career life or even daily life? Like, is there anything you fall back on that you've learned about yourself even? Yeah,
0: I think you, you, whenever you've had a certain injury, you're always better at understanding when a, someone comes in to see you, you, uh, you can understand what they're going through, even say on an emotional level. So not just like the injury itself, but you might understand what they're thinking about and how they feel like it's impacted their quality of life and and things like that. So it's good having, I think as a physio, it's actually good experiencing many injuries on, on that front. And I think that really helps on a day-to-day basis. Um, I've actually moved my physio degree. I do more like neurological acquired brain injuries now, but there's musculoskeletal injuries on top of that and, That has changed with my running as well. As my running progressed, I strive for more in the physio world. So I've kind of moved down like a more complex kind of pathologies in the physio world as well.
1: And it's probably nice not having a direct um, contact with runners or people that are coming into like a practice uh, because you are just never then escaping your thing and it's everywhere and you kind of just want that different world. It's not colliding.
0: Yeah, exactly right. I really like that. And, you know, when you're out there running and people ask, oh, you're a physio, and they always (laughs) want advice and things like that. But when you quickly say, like, I I don't mind giving advice and things like that, but sometimes you say, oh, actually I work in acquired brain injuries. They quickly go, oh, and they ask you more about that. And they forget talking about their niggle or their injuries. So sometimes that's nice as well.
1: Can (laughs) I imagine? Let's talk about back to your running, your debut. So, uh, Impressively jumped into Chicago at two sixteen. Have I got that right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, and you were still being coached at that stage. Um, amazingly, you're pretty much probably part of the rarity where the debut went according to plan. Um, you know, yes, yeah. pretty much. I could think you could pull people together, and fifty percent would say no, they blew up, and it was horrific. But yeah. yours was amazing. Do you want to kind of give us just how that went, and I suppose how you came off it?
0: yeah so the leading into Chicago that corresponded with me graduating from physio so I had about a 10 to 12 week period until my physiotherapy registration came through one of the fellows in Dick um, Telford's run squad he um, is married to an American lady and they have a house in Colorado so I went over to Colorado Springs for 10 weeks so I was able to train at altitude for 10 weeks um, into Chicago and it was the first time ever in my life where I didn't have, say, uni. I didn't have a job. I didn't have anything other than running for, for 10 weeks. And before I went over, I was thinking the whole plan was if I could get as close to 220, you know, this would be fantastic. And my training was going perfect. Even before I went over to America, I was knocking out 160 Ks a week, three sessions a, a week, and just no injuries. And everything was, was flowing really well. And when I went over to America, I found myself doing 200, 220 kilometer weeks, but just then I would just relax. And my running just, I don't know if it's because I'm a huge altitude responder or if it's just, you know, actually having time to recover between sessions, but I just every single week felt like I was just going to a whole new level and it was halfway through the training block over there and we're doing some sessions and I was training with an American fellow that had run 212, I think for the marathon and I was side by side with him the the entire sessions and he was training for Chicago as well. And he wasn't in his t- 212 shape, but he started to kind of feed it to me. Hey, you should be looking at, you know, 216, 215 type times. And here I am thinking if i got to 220, twenty, would be fantastic to all <laughs> of a sudden um, is 216 possible. And then the, or is 215 possible? But then the way Chicago turned out was there was a, a group that went off at the start, who were paced out to a sixty-six half. Okay. So that at that time in my running, that was just way too quick. And then I found myself in another group, which just we kind of was an accidental group that went. That kind, we all just kind of worked out within ten kilometers that hey, if we went through halfway in about sixty-eight, that would be brilliant. So I found myself in that group, and within about ten k's, we split off, and I was just with two other fellas until about. 25 k's and one of them fell off and then I was just with one fella from 25 virtually until 40 kilometers we were just like helping each other out and yeah I, I knew through halfway I went, we went through halfway in 68 and I still felt good and I think it was 30 k's I saw Yuki Kawichi coming mm. in and I was like oh my goodness this. I've only heard stories about this legend and here I am got within about 20 meters of him and I was thinking this will be my mates will not believe this. If I can scout <laughs> Yuki, no one will believe this. And I got within 20 meters on him and then he found a second wind. And I think he ended up putting about 20 seconds into me. Um, but yeah, I ended up holding on running 216 and that's still probably one of the best sporting moments of my life. Just crossing that line thinking, I don't know what I've just done. I didn't, I didn't know the extent of it, to be mm. honest. Like I was still quite new to running. I didn't, Appreciate. I didn't know what a quick marathon was. My partner had no idea what a quick marathon was. She called me up and she was like, so is that a good time? or <laughs> um, So the the reaction to that run was um, a lot more than what I thought it was going to be. Well,
1: yeah. it's almost a nice position to be in though, to go in with, you're almost oblivious and you were just going to do whatever. If you blew up and you still, let's say, ran a 220, you would have gone, well, that was my goal. Um yeah. You really didn't come in with any trained eyes to this whole thing. Um, the whole 10 weeks before, did that kind of give you a bit of a sniff, though, to, oh, I've run a 216 here. Like, could I, what would possibly happen if I gave this a crack seriously and put Fazio maybe on hold for a bit? Absolutely, it did. But I've just had other
0: life circumstances come to play just having gone into running at such an older age so like you know those those mid to late 20s I you have to start making more responsible decisions i would love to be able to just go hey i want you know a six month or 12 month block of just give it running all my my best but um with my partner that we just you know we want to pay rent and put food mm-hmm. on the table and i've just never been getting into it later i've never really um, felt like I've been in the position to give running, say, my all for, a, you know, six months without without um any
1: work or anything. You, you potentially, you know, you get a lot of those athletes, Liam Adams, prime example, who still works full time. And I think he said as well that he couldn't really do it full time because he actually likes that escape. So yeah. potentially you find yourself in that same position. You know, someone says, here you go, 12 weeks, no work, whatever. And you go, oh, I don't know about this. Yeah. I think it'd be nice. Like I'd I'd still love to
0: even if it was like a another like an eight week block or something like that, where I could take eight weeks off work and just go, you know, obviously be in good shape before, but then have eight weeks prior, go to altitude or have a training camp. I'd still be interested in that, but it is hard to do. Um, but but I, I couldn't do it full time. I, I, I need work. I, you spend even twenty twenty one, I was travelling around Europe a bit and I spent a almost a 12 week period where I wasn't working because we were traveling. And when you get back to work after that, you're like, wow, like I feel like I've got a little bit dumber over the last three yeah. months. type of thing. like I might become a little bit more cultured and worldly, but then like day-to-day social interactions and stuff, you're like, ah, oh, it takes a week or two to get back into reality. And um, yeah, I kind of like being part of normal society.
1: So you mentioned you moved to, to Europe for a little bit. And um, how did you find the running culture change there? Um, because really um it is completely different right everywhere else in the world specifically but even the club culture and uh the league type of culture
0: i loved absolutely love the uk running scene that uh, like you said they had the the club culture so you become part of um, everyone's part of a club over there so the club relays and the cross country everything's really big but the best part about the uh london culture i found out, I, I met this group of fellas and very blue collar all just work full time and the group's called cottage there's i don't i'm pretty sure they don't have it still don't have an instagram page we don't do social media or nothing like that and we'd all meet at 7 p.m at night on a tuesday at this park so in the middle of winter you know it's been dark for four and a half hours it's icy over and you're everyone's meeting there with our backpacks we're all running from work to this park then do a session together and it could fluctuate from 12, 10 or 12 runners up to 25, 30 runners. And we're talking people in the caliber of like, that was 13, 40, 5K guys up to like 211, 210 marathoners. So these are phenomenal runners, but they're all work full time. And you you could just get a really good session in late at night with this group. And I just haven't, I don't know if anything like that exists in Australia. I definitely doesn't exist in Melbourne. It's mm-hmm. a bit too professional the running in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. The these the guys at that level are kind of training during work hours. So I really love that about the UK running scene. It might be because there's so much depth over there that you can find a really quality athlete and train with them outside of work hours.
1: Well, yeah, it's it's pretty interesting, and especially when you reflect on the Australian running culture, people think that it's really good and it's set up really well, but it's actually not if you compare it to a lot of places around the world. And you see why there's so much depth. Even around your time, there's a lot of them in other places around yeah. the world. Whereas yeah. really in Australia, there's not many. Like it might seem like there's a lot of 215 to two 230 guys. But in another country, there'd be almost triple that amount. Yeah, um, exactly right.
0: And we Australia's got, we got like the phenomenal elite guys. Yeah that are like some of the best in the world, but then with that sub-elite in Australia is is not very strong. I shouldn't say not very strong. It's just, yeah, and, you know, it but doesn't I think, pack, pack I large.
1: think they've got nowhere to go, right? Like you're saying, there might be you in one group in Melbourne and then another one of you in another. Like, there's not five groups and four of you in each of those groups. So yeah. it's almost like, oh, we'll all come together, the four of us, to make our own group. And then yeah. the gap after that is... 245 yeah Um, yeah so it's quite almost like they're pulling and groups are very insular i find um you know we don't time trials in places of the uk africa clubs come together three times a week and we're all doing ak time trial against each other and then we go off whereas here it's very much oh no we don't we only see you on race day yeah
0: (laughs) yeah exactly right exactly right it's kind of a
1: yeah, I mean, maybe it
0: will change eventually, but yeah, it's very different culture.
1: Um, and then you you start doing some crazy things. I think when you you come back to Australia or to the to the outside person, I think, oh geez, running two marathons back to back, even though phenomenal times, uh, you wouldn't be prescribing that. Um, <laughs> do you want to kind of talk us through? And for those who don't know, you doubled, um, Sydney and Melbourne, um. Do you want to talk us through the thought process um, and then, yeah, like how it all went and the recovery as well is, is pretty important? Yep. So, where, this beginning of last,
0: was it last? Yeah, last year, so that's 2022. So, I was still living in London at the time and I'd just come off running two two thirteen marathons and coming off like really good training. But just in my last month living over in London, I picked up a, a like a sacral injury. So between having that injury and then moving back to Australia, I did about uh, almost two months' trip traveling around Scandinavia as well where I didn't really run. So I, I missed out. The first six months of last year, I missed out on any racing. I didn't do any at all. So we moved to Melbourne in June, and I got into just the club scene down here, which actually the Victorian club scene is quite fun. Mm. Um, I don't mind. It's the closest thing, I think, to the, the UK club scene. But, yeah, I slowly was getting fitter and fitter. And I I knew that I wasn't close to my, say, 213. Well, I didn't think I was close to my 213 marathon shape. So I decided, hey, I was going to be up in Sydney the weekend of Sydney Marathon, and I always wanted to kind of do Sydney Marathon. I don't know why. And so I entered Sydney Marathon, and then Tim Crosby, the organiser of Melbourne, knew that I was living in Melbourne then. And I'd spoken to him, and he's like, yeah, you might as well do Melbourne. You're living here now. And I was like, yeah. Why not? So, yeah, I think I was about six weeks out, I decided that I'd do Sydney and Melbourne. So I went to Sydney Marathon. I was hoping to have a really good run in Sydney and I was five kilometers in, I was running with Aidan Hobbs, like a Queensland runner and then by about 10 kilometers in, I was running by myself in Sydney and there's just a group of African runners who were on, getting paced 206, 207 and then it was just me mm. by myself and I just decided at that point in time I could kill as a hilly course. I just wanted to run under 220 and just try and, you know, just sort of a solid performance, but I didn't want to go too deep because I was thinking, oh, I, maybe if there's other runners around my ability in Melbourne, I can run faster there. So I didn't go easy in Sydney, but I definitely didn't max myself out in Sydney. And my as I was coming along, I, you know, I was still picking up an African run. Every time they got dropped from the group, I'd pick them up. And I still ran 217.24, I'm not sure the seconds were. So I still had a really good solid run. And that, I I didn't think I could, te- like when I say tempo, I didn't think I could run that sort of time quite comfortably. So like the next day I felt fine. I didn't have any muscle soreness, recovered really well from it. I think because I just, I feel well, I didn't go super deep. And I kind of got like some super compensation from that as like, how often do you go and run 42 kilometers at 315 pace or whatever it is and then think hey that's just a training session for a bigger race and that's actually what ended up happening i ran sydney and i went through this two-week period post sydney where every single one of my workouts i was running faster than what i was pre-sydney and it felt easier and i just it isn't sustainable for a long period but for a few weeks it actually is like this compensatory effect of just like, Hey, your body just got exposed to this incredible stimuli. And now you're mm. paying these dividends. And I turned up to Melbourne thinking, you know, I'll just run with the front African runners for as long as I can and just see what happens. I've got nothing to lose. I slept in my own
1: bed.
0: Yeah. Like if, if, if I DNF, everyone would be like, yeah, well that's what you get for backing up. Trying, <laughs> for backing up. So I could have run two thirty, and everyone would have been like, yeah, well that's just what well, that's expected. And deep down, I knew that. I was like, hey, my body feels <laughs> incredible here. Like, I know I can go faster, but I just had nothing to lose. And and just when you travel to the other side of the world or you spend money on a flight to a yeah. marathon, you run a bit more conservative because you got, like, financial loss to that race. Or Whereas Melbourne, literally, I just walked out my door, walked down to the start line type thing. So, yeah, I just went out really aggressively with the African runners. And the first 10K were on probably like 2.12-ish pace maybe, and I felt incredible. And then 15 to 20K, we'll start creeping out at 2.11 marathon pace, and then about halfway, we went through in 65, 20. And I actually, at that point, I was still feeling amazing, but the two African runners I was with were just starting to get away from me, and they were starting to run 2.58 pace because they were chasing a sub 2.10 to get some extra financial reward. So they were picking up the pace, and... Unfortunately, it was a little bit too quick for me and I, I gradually slowed down until 30 to 40k and I really suffered. And so I split a 65-20 or something in the first half. So I've closed in like a 69-something. So the second half, it got tough, but to still run a 214-40 or 41 or something like that, I, I didn't expect to, to be in that sort of shape and I ran you know, the second half solo. So yeah, I was really happy with that.
1: And in I suppose in hindsight, Melbourne was probably a better suited course to go fast, right? And I think conditions were awesome. I right? had a few running mates from here go over. Um, it almost seems like if if you could have chosen now, like still do both, but Sydney wasn't the one to race was a session, and Melbourne definitely was the one to race, right? Yeah,
0: exactly right. And the Melbourne course, Melbourne course is definitely quicker. And the top guys weren't as quick as the Sydney guys, so yeah. it was it definitely was better for running a fast a time for me faster. Yeah.
1: And then Sydney, I suppose though, do you still keep it in the back of your mind with the potential that it's going to be a major? Like obviously, they would need to make some changes, um, but do you still keep that there now? Going, oh, I want to go back in a way. Yeah, I think I think
0: so. Like I haven't ruled out not going back to Sydney this year. I, I would if it's just going to be a group of like, there's rumours of potentially like that toller who's a 202 or 203 guy turning up. If, if it's just going to be like a, a similar thing to this year where there's a group of 203 guys going out and running a 205 marathon and then there's nothing else after that. I don't hmm. think that's of, I, I don't really find that interesting. Um, because, They probably
1: have to make it that though. Don't they have to kind of get some hype going before yeah, the decision's made? Yeah. I think, yeah,
0: and I think you're right because they want a fast time there. And if you look at say Boston, New York, they, they yeah, they you know keep is of course going to Boston, but the the American runners is I know there's a lot more depth in America, but you still see the top American guys there running good times. And yeah, I, I don't know if, if it's just two or five guys. I I don't see myself maybe going to Sydney.
1: Yeah, and then it probably um, pulls from Melbourne, like if. Your faster Australian guys are probably going, Well, I will go to Sydney, so then as an opportunity, but as a title, you probably go oh, Well, maybe I'll go to Melbourne and run a low two teams. And mm. yes, yeah, so you kind of have to weigh that up, don't you? As well,
0: yeah. I mean, I'm at this point now working full time, I, I just want to find as soon as someone says, Hey, this person's running this race, I, I want a competitive race more so than a um, one that I can win. So if if some of the top Aussie guys, who I think, oh, that'd be really good for me. Mm. I would. That's how I will pick my races.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, and then you completely coming to this range part of your running now. You go and do UTA. Um, you had dabbled previously with Tarawera. Um, but then you go right. I'm upping it and literally leveling up. Why and how I suppose does that come about? Yeah. So I think it was still, I was still chate like I'd only
0: really done a couple of races and I was still like, oh, I've, I still, even though I'd done two marathons, I'd, I'd only really done a couple of races that year. So I was still mentally really fresh and I'm, I'm getting married April this year. So I knew that the first, six, oh, first half of this year, I can't go and travel and do a, a marathon or anything like that. So I was like, I'm going to bury myself at the end of last year, <laughs> which I well and truly did. I succeeded on that. UTA is one of those things where, you know, everyone knows. Well, at that point, it's one of the biggest ultras in Australia. It's always interested me and being in October just suited me really well. And then the last minute course changes suited me even better. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I I just wanted to give it a go. I've always been interested from that 18 years of age cycling adventures and doing the 500 kilometer rides. I've always been interested in adventure, um, and and I just love endurance and torturing myself so UTA was always going to be on the cards at some point in my life and it just happened to sync up really well being kind of there was no more road races really in Australia I was in good shape um, and just worked really well
1: how do you strip it back though like you kind of say all right well I'm going to go do this race again being self-coached do you kind of just throw yourself in and find out as much information as yeah. possible, speak to people you know, when it even comes down to packs and um, nutrition, yeah. do you just well and truly throw yourself into it?
0: Yeah, Absolute ignorance goes straight in with ignorance so I, I didn't train had no idea how to train for it. I still don't know how to train for an ultra um, and with gear I went down to my local running store and I just would ask them questions, be like, hey I'm, I think I'm doing UTA, what pack? And They'd give me advice. I don't think they they didn't, at that point, the gentleman that was serving me, he didn't, he just thought I was just an age group. And then after the race, he worked out who I was. But (laughs) yeah, I was just going in just like anyone would off the street and just asking general advice. I was like, what would be the best pack? And he was like, this one from Salomon is the most popular. And what jacket do I have to think? And he just, I I just listened to him. And he just said, you have need this, this, this. That's how I got my mandatory gear sorted. And I just following the website. And then training wise, I just, you know, I didn't really, I had a couple of guys around here I went for a few longer runs with in the hills, but I didn't really um, change my training too much for an ultra. I think I did a couple of 50K runs, but there was nothing drastic. I didn't practice nutrition, which I should in hindsight. And I got through UTA in
1: absolute ignorance. Do you, I suppose straight after that, the ultra world locally probably goes off? we to keep this bloke um mm. was there any of that kind of possibly happening where you know even UTA themselves were like oh mate like, what's your future plans what's the goal you know that you can qualify for things through us and even brands like there's probably a lot more interest because they're going well are you no longer a marathoner what's the deal here um you pretty much are going in clean eyed yeah no, um was there any of that happening absolutely
0: so after UTA like I had Multiple brands contact – or many brands contact me. And there definitely was a bit of that hype train. It was like, hey, what can this guy do? And that I I already knew I was going to give Kosciuszko, Myler and Go before – it didn't matter how UTA was going to go. I already had my entry sorted for Kosciuszko. Um, But, yeah, there was definitely kind of a bit of a hype. So, Kosciuszko was a bit of a blessing that things didn't go well because that kind of settled all the hype down. Mm. But, yeah, I had brands and things contact me, which in the road scene, my – Road results, you know, and then they're, they're not, you know, top class, but they're not too bad. And I've never had really any interest from from brands. And all of a sudden, you win one trail race and you get interest from brands, but it also doesn't suit my personality either. So
1: yeah, I was yeah. going to say, that I, just from speaking to you now, it sounds, it sounds like you really enjoy floating under the radar and just turning up and just you almost you can be lost your running could be lost right you then have to be promoting and self-promoting it just doesn't sound like that's your shtick really no and i think it's been interesting
0: um seeing different brands like some brands actually uh offer you to come on and i'm really thankful when when they do offer you to come on like as a sponsored athlete but then other brands do sneaky things like hey we'll just actually send you some product and all you have to do is put a post or two on instagram but you know, you're not technically not, and I don't like that. So any brand that's done that to me, like I wouldn't have a bar off. Um, yeah. So and and that's just my personality. I um. Well, it's not authentic, uh, is it? Like, um, you no, know, and yeah. they're kind of technically for me, like offering me a pair of shoes or whatever it is, is like I'm not going to put something out there just to get a pair of shoes and know deep down that hey, that's not like a product that I would go and purchase myself.
1: And then Kosciuszko, like you touched on that a little bit. Look, you guys walked literally into a blizzard. Um, but then is that where do you think it was really, say that where it didn't come in the way it did, the technical side of it was almost like another step up, right, from UTA? Yeah, so the, the nutrition, so
0: multiple, th- I learned a lot in, U- in at Kosciuszko. My main learning thing is not what people would expect, but nutrition-wise, I was... I was way off. I I didn't had never, I'd never really gone. I'd I'd never really been in a race situation where you need to be at kind of top kind of working capacity and still be feeling well. Like, you know, some of those long rides I did, you could sit down with a meat pie for an hour and a half, two hours Mm -hmm. and then get back on your bike. I'd never been in this situation where you kind of felt rushed. So I was just doing it on gels. I wasn't consuming enough gels and yeah, nutrition, just wasn't quite there. And then deep down, There wasn't heaps for me to gain. I didn't want Kosciuszko enough either. So, when it started getting really tough, I was kind of a bit mentally weak as well at Kosciuszko. So, um, and I, I, of course, you have regrets, but I knew how sick I was in the, and I'd done 90 minutes of walking before I pulled out. So, I was in a real bad way before I pulled out. So, I don't regret pulling out Mm. and I don't think I could have made the finish. Um, but yeah, I got a lot of things wrong.
1: And there are a couple more to go, but um, in terms of your bucket list, like what do you still, even if it's times, let's say, um, but is there anything that you still have that you want to tick off?
0: Yeah. So bucket list, like when it comes to marathoning, you know, the bucket list would be, I don't think it's possible, but if I was to ever go sub 210, that would be like out of this world. So knowing that's in the back of my mind, I'll always try and balance marathons and ultras. Mm-hmm. But then there's something like comrades. I was very, very close to trying to get an entry this year. But just in the last week or two, I've decided not to. But, yeah, Comrades is on the bucket list. And then, obviously, when it comes to the trail world, um, having travelled to Chamonix, I do want to go to UTMB and I would love to be competitive at at UTMB races. Um, But an event like Western States, everyone thinks that that would be a race that I'm interested in. And um, I don't have heaps of interest in going to Western States
1: yeah it's pretty interesting like comrades just because i know a bit about the race you going there and with a two thirteen, or even if you got to 210 you become a big player um but then you're also going from here and it, you really need to invest i suppose time into that and you know there's local people here that could help you out with that but yeah and in, always intriguing when i hear somebody say that put that on their bucket list and there it got a great marathon time so yeah hopefully in the near future we, we see your name there but um yeah, great bucket list to have, to hit. Um, In terms of, I always finished with this question, but a message to your younger self, um, would you have one and what would it be?
0: It depends how young we're talking. If we're talking, <laughs> uh, get into running, start running earlier. Yeah. Um, but maybe may oh, my body wouldn't be prepared for it if I started younger. Um, uh, just, I guess... No, I, I, yeah, that'd be my only thing is is just like I think if you look back at my hockey, if you look back at my running in school without actually training, I could still make state cross country. Like there were signs there that I could run, but I think maybe if I could talk, say something to my younger self and just be like if you if something comes naturally easy, maybe just pursue that because later on in life, you probably enjoy it.
1: Yeah, interesting though because who knows now you might hate it and getting into it later and the things you learn from those other sports and the people you met probably contribute to your you for running now as well like it's such a a double-edged thing isn't it it is it really is yeah (laughs) um but you're still actually in terms of the ultra world you're actually young which is the best part about it um it's almost like your career starts again yeah 100 (laughs) ah cool thanks mate i really appreciate your time um and just like even touching the surface really and hopefully we can uh get you back on once you hit a few more of these bucket lists and see what 2023 has in store but um i think yeah you're just you're just scratching the surface but really refreshing as well to hear you just keep it basic but actually enjoy it too
0: yeah no thank you for having me i really really enjoyed it cool thanks heaps